live from Washington, D.C. This is Backroom Politics with moderator Justin Russell. And hello out there in Radio Land. It is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics from Studio A in Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., your nation's capital. I'm your host, moderator Justin Russell. Joining me in studio, he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade, the one we know as the Honorable Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And across from me is the longtime Democratic political operative, former Biden politico, and attorney here in the great state of Maryland, the District of Columbia. He is new father, Dan Lipner. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Mr. Russell. And down in Boca Vista in the Sunshine State of Florida, he is the retired one-star admiral from your United States Navy. He's the one we know as Admiral Ken Carradine. Hello, Ken. Hello, guys. How are you? And behind the glass, as usual, he is Rob the Engineer, keeping us honest. And somewhere in an undisclosed location is our producer, Audrey Harrington. Uh, And we are going to go in-depth today on the 2020 election. Uh, In case you haven't noticed... Pretty much every registered Democrat within a 500-mile radius of D.C. has announced that they are running for president. I'm announcing tomorrow. You are announcing to Well, you would be the 11th, I think, that might be in line. Good good job. You're getting in early. Uh, they range from the top-notch people that you hear about all the time. Yeah, Kamala Harris, the senator from California. Cory Booker, the senator from New Jersey. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, the senator from Minnesota. Uh, you have um, who else? Who else am I missing? Uh, Tulsi Gabbard Bernie, from Hawaii. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts. Who else am I missing? Oh, Kristen Gillibrand, senator from New York. Uh. Uh, <laughs> Pete, Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana. Uh, there is a Delaney litany. from the former Delaney. congressman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> McCastro, the former mayor. I mean, but yeah, there's all kinds of people. Sherrod anyway. Brown is rumored to be jumping in. And a partridge in. and a pear tree. Exactly. And we, so, uh, we, uh, and we got, I, I, and we got Biden re- on the sidelines. We got, got Terry, Beto O'Rourke, who hasn't announced. I, I we just got received Terry, that. Uh, Terry McAuliffe uh, is toying uh, with possibly it. Possibly to. Governor McAuliffe gonna is gonna not going to be president of the United States. He's not going to run, I'm I am not talking think. about being president. I'm talking about running. A lot yeah. of people didn't think he'd be governor of Virginia. That too is true. Um, and so anyway, but we've got a lot of people running, but it's basically come down to a just an absolute quagmire of candidates, and we haven't even heard from the rest of the of of the crew, and including Biden, Beto O'Rourke, and others. Uh, let me start with you, Dan Lipner, because you're the Democratic political operative. And I've asked this question before, and I'm going to ask it again because it seems to be becoming more and more evident that they are, in fact. Why are the Democrats taking a page out of the Republican disaster playbook and basically snatching defeat out of the throes of almost certain victory? It just seems that having this many people is just going to muddy the waters and you're not going to get the best candidate to pop out. The disaster playbook now, in spite of the fact that, uh, of who the guy is that is number 45 in the Oval Office, I believe he has an R after his name. 
So the cluster, insert next word here, uh, that was the Republican primary process did deliver Donald Trump the presidency. So arguably you could say it was successful. Arguably. The actual reason for the giant list of Democratic names that are that are running for president is the president looks wildly vulnerable in all polls, more specifically in polls for that that bright blue wall that collapsed the last time around that that lost Hillary the presidency. It does not look like uh, Donald Trump has been doing a good enough job to maintain his own support in those states that that swung him the election it was some 70,000 votes and i think five states right. that that won him the presidency and he hasn't been nursing those 70,000 very much so in fact he's done a whole hell of a lot to alienate them right and on the phone with us from the windy city of chicago she is the former nbc producer for the today show in washington dc and longtime news junkie she is laura chavez laura hello hi everyone we missed you oh, i missed you guys too <laughs> hey, the rest laura, of the week is difficult without uh, you i know oh that's sweet hey uh back yeah. to reality here uh talking about talking about the the large landscape of candidates that the democrats are 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 putting up for president the the good news is is that there is quite a number of very serious, legitimate women candidates that are leading at at the top of the at the top of the pack right now in fundraising and some some light straw polling. Is is this a sign that we could see a truly good, credible woman candidate coming out on top, uh, getting the nomination with the uh, Democratic? party yes and i would also like to point out that uh back in 2016 or really 2015 we also had a good and credible woman candidate but that didn't seem to make as much of a difference uh yeah i think that this this past cycle we definitely got a quote-unquote year of the woman we saw a massive surge in women in the house um, you know, women took a couple governorships, you know, a lot of state and local races were taken over by women. So I think this is definitely a good time to run as a female. And it's not like you get to choose really what right. you run as at this point in time, <laughs> but it's a good time to be a woman candidate. Uh, there's a lot, especially when you have um, a, for lack of a better word, a foe like Donald Trump. That's one of the places where, yes, no woman expects another woman to vote for her just because, you know, they both happen to have a uterus or, you know, or anything like that. But there is a certain kinship when you see, you know, women being, to be perfectly honest, bullied. And I don't think I'm out overstepping my bounds by saying this 45 pretty much bullies any opponent he has, no matter the gender. But I think you will get kind of a really great opportunity to see what women stand for, not necessarily as a woman. These ladies aren't, like, look at Elizabeth Warren. She's not running on the platform of, like, I am a woman. Here are the things I'm going to do to protect, you know, or to try and bring the court or the the court back into a more balanced space. She's running on her economic background. Yeah, but, but Laura, Laura, let me... The questionable... 
Mm-hmm. Laura, let me ask you this question though: Is is any of them really doing that? Because to me, it's uh, it, it looks like that the the women that are in this that are at the top of the list right now, that being Kamala Harris, that being Elizabeth Warren, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, Amy Klobuchar, they're not really running on the I am woman, hear me roar. They're, particularly with Kamala Harris, Gillibrand might be. Ah, you, you think <laughs> oh, so? Come on, be nice. No, uh, there was actually a handful of statement, public statements she's made specifically. I had the honor of watching a release that she put out on Facebook where she celebrated her takedown of Al Franken. Uh, the response on Facebook did not go in the direction her communication team probably would have expected. But I, but I guess. Which, it, I, which I think is part of the reason why none of these women are going to double down on the fact that they are a woman. And I think that's one of the things like you can't be you can't run a campaign based solely on gender. You can't run a campaign based solely on, you know, assuming that if you are Barack Obama in 2008, you can't say like, well, I'm an African-American. I've got the African-American vote on lock. Um, You know, if I'm Hillary Clinton, I'm a woman. I've got the woman vote on lock. Like you you don't have that ability anymore. There are so many different things that people care about. Ninety nine percent of them are social issues. Um, But with that said, just being a woman isn't enough. Just being a minority isn't enough. Alan, Alan Moore's nodding his head in agreement almost, it looked like. No, I think what Hillary Clinton did was was open the door to legitimize women uh, in, in, a, in a way. I mean, she played a role in that. So does a lot of other, a lot of other women a lot, and, and some men and some things in the society um, have made it acceptable and and uh, for women to, to run for the highest office. And there's an expectation um, that 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 women would run. We got a half a dozen now. Um, I I am one who believes that there will be a woman on the ticket on the on the Democratic side. Um, and and whether for the, president or vice president, absolutely. If if, if, if not if, both, if if, if conceivably both. But all I'm saying is at least one. And if if a man prevails in this primary process, which threatens to be as messy um, as the as the Republicans, although without a Donald Trump character who would who would just traffic in ugliness and 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 racism and hatred, um, bigotry. Um, but but that doesn't mean there won't be plenty of ugliness. And we spent a lot of time talking about uh, the about the, the Clinton Sanders race and 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 I spent a lot of time boring you guys with my view that 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 Sanders played a you know a sort of a, a nice game on the surface, even as he was sticking the ice pick in to 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 Hillary Clinton again and again and again um, and doing real damage right. uh, to 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 her. Well, he, I mean, let's also call it re- reality. Hillary Clinton did damage to herself. She was not the uh, no best. No one denies that. She was not the best candidate in the world. And the, and the difference that we have this year, Admiral Ken, is that we have an entire class of women candidates that are that are relatable. I mean that, that that's the one thing that Hillary Clinton never had is that it not only women voters but men voters can relate to people like Elizabeth Warren like Kamala Harris 
and 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 that crowd. You don't you disagree? I, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm surprised you started with Elizabeth Warren, who I think is yeah. So maybe Elizabeth Warren the, the, the was the right one. The number of us who live lives as academics and and, and moved right. on from there. You know, I, 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 I associate with that daily. I give you, I, let me rephrase <laughs> that. I give you Kamala Harris and, and Klobuchar. Okay. I mean, Klobuchar um, is actually a normal human being prior to her political life. Everyone thank else. You, Admiral Ken. <laughs> you gonna let Admiral Ken talk? Uh, brother by a different mother. Uh, wow, we'll let that one slide. Admiral Ken, go ahead. Uh, brother Dan, I love you, man. Um, so uh, agreed. I, I think that um, you know, I think they're all going to be very interesting to watch. I think in the last 24 hours or so, the the, the, the thing that, that has got me more than a little intrigued and, and waiting literally on the edge of my, my, my news-watching chair to see who's going to jump on this next and what stupid thing are they going to say is on the part of slavery reparations. Um, I, I, am, I am just intrigued that this has even become an issue uh, this early in the discussion, or at all, actually, and, and, and wondering who is really going to step on it when it comes to this. And we'll find out uh, a lot about relatability as they try and, you know, and, and figure out what kind of space to occupy on that subject. So, Dan Lipner. weird. Well, Dan Lipner. So one of the things that I'm actually going to mention it right now on this is with the large number of candidates who happen to be women, it is now no longer necessary to identify the woman candidate and the sp- specifics about a woman candidate. In fact, now, I'm not suggesting that there are no unique issues that women candidates still confront because there is still sexism in this country, and I'm not going to deny there isn't any. However, because of the the large number of women that are running, we actually get to judge them on the character and the content of what they bring to their campaigns. And you, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand is not one of my favorites. I am most certainly of pe- – there's no list of people that I'm for right now. There are most certainly people that I'm against, and she is one of them. And I can say that without even having to wince at the possibility of somebody saying, I'm against her because I'm afraid of a strong woman, because Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren, I, I am very much a fan of both of them. Laura Chavez. Um, so it's interesting, actually, that Dan brought that up because he's right. Um, this having so many women in the field, you know, having the diversity that this field will have, does have and will continue to have definitely allows people to kind of speak a little bit more, more frankly. Like, you don't need to say, like, well, of course, you know, she's great for a woman or anything like that. Like, now she's just, all of these women are just candidates, which is great. But I will say it does also kind of, it's kind of a double-edged sword in that it also allows people to just be very blunt about this stuff and have a lot of, um, for lack of a better and more eloquent way of saying it, kind of under their breath comments. Like, I feel like I've been watching, and we all watch enough, you know, 24-hour news, nightly news, morning news, all of the things, all the news. But you'll see it in some people where, you've got the side glances of like, oh, well, I can't say it anymore. I can't disqualify her just for being a woman, which actually is great because now they actually have to research, you know, their stance on international issues, their stance on financial issues, or how they're going to cure the economy, how they're going to fight the drug opioid epidemic and all of that stuff. But with that, it's almost working. It's definitely working for women. I don't want to have like the final thesis that I'm 
people are going to walk away with being that Laura doesn't think having so many women in the field is a bad thing. I think it's a great thing, but it almost creates enough landmines that people will have to be, people won't be conscious of how they're talking about it. Just because they're a woman, it doesn't mean they have a better stance on reproductive rights, on, you know, maternity leave, all of that stuff impacts all of us. It's just, there's a different perspective. And now the perspective of, and Amy Klobuchar or a Kirsten Gillibrand is going to be seen with the same weight and same internal knowledge as a Bernie Sanders or as a Cory Booker. That's not to say that Bernie Sanders and Cory Booker don't have very important opinions and won't be able to, you know, if they are elected to as the 46th president of the United States, be able to, you know, shape legislation and help really push things forward. But it, it's just kind of one of those things where women have been dealing with it for hundreds, millions, millennia, however long you want to say, where there's a very much a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of atmosphere. So, sure. well, yes, it's great that women are there. I'm glad they're sticking together as much as one can stick with another woman when you're running against them blatantly. But it is also going to allow people to say like, oh, is there catfighting going on inside the Democratic Party? There's just a lot of stereotypes that women still have to jump through even though right now this is allegedly a genderless field. Well, Dan, Dan but, Lipner and then Alan Moore. But we can go down the rabbit hole on, on this a little bit. So one of the claims of sexism that's already come out from the against the Democratic field was after Amy Klobuchar's uh, announcement, very quickly it came out that supposedly she is a horrible boss. Um, that said, I have no firsthand knowledge of this. I, I have worked with some challenging politicians. Some would argue that most... Uh, politicians are challenging, but uh, Klobuchar had had this these stories come out that she is very challenging to work for uh, from her from her staffers. That said, you haven't heard those things about Elizabeth Warren. You haven't heard those things about Kamala Harris. You haven't heard those things about Kirsten Gillibrand. You haven't heard those things about Tulsi Gabbard. So there, there is a contrast that is now built into it. So you cannot just say it's because she's a woman that's been brought out. And I, it's worth noting. I've also heard the same thing about male candidates, but the fact that the field is now salted with so many women, you can't simply say that's the statement because it's not; it hasn't been true of the entire field. Well, and and to and, and to expand on that, um, when when people say, "Oh, that's a standard they're applying only to women," as as Dan accurately points out, the, the, if the stuff is there, it's going to emerge on these other f- five women. It's also going to emerge on all of the men, and it has not. All men bosses are not jerks and don't mistreat their staff. I had high hopes. I still have some hopes for Klobuchar. She's sort of the Republicans' favorite candidate because she's been willing to work across the aisle on compromises. She seems reasonable. And then you hear this stuff. And having worked in the Senate for 15 years, believe me, people who work there pay a lot of attention, as you do in any workplace, to the, the 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 bosses who are known to be really difficult and really challenging, and the word gets out. Sometimes it's men, occasionally it's women. So whether this ha- this issue has legs for her, it certainly doesn't help her. Um, and I think that people who suggest that it's a double standard being applied, you know, ought to ought to ought to be careful unless it's p- simply positioning, because we're going to hear if. 
any of the men who are also in the mix here are 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 jerks uh, towards uh, towards their staff. They all work hard. They're all demanding in their in their different ways. Um, I've had a lot of different bosses, and and you have to adapt. But some of the stuff that has come out about Klobuchar is is troubling because because. It it just seems but, gratuitous and 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 nasty. Now, is that disqualifying? No, it's just. But, what, but why why would piece it come out this. about why would it come out about her, and this make news? Whereas, you know, we've heard we've heard stories about the horrible bosses that men are in the Senate. Uh, some of them who have even run for office, uh, for the office of the presidency, and we never heard. I don't agree that we never heard. Give me some examples. I mean, if there's somebody in 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 the mix right now who's an, a known uh, on the Democratic side where we have a, a big group who's a known horrible boss, let's talk about it. Or we can go back to 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 three years ago when the Republicans had their 16 people who wanted to be president. I don't know of any of them who were just known to be really jerks as bosses. Everybody's digging. Everybody's looking. And that stuff tends to percolate up and 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 find There's an outlet. No there, there, there was always rumors. I, I, go, first I'm of all, go ahead. I'm just going to hop in. Yeah. I'm going to hop in real quick. So, one, I think you guys are right. There's totally – there's actually where I blame most of the responsibility is the media. The media needs to choose its words a lot more carefully by saying Amy Klobuchar, you know, releasing these things. Amy Klobuchar was a bitch. Amy Klobuchar was so terrible. Like, all of these things. It, there has been study after study after study about the way – certain adjectives are chosen for men versus certain adjectives are chosen for women. Like that is, you guys can argue that as much as you want. That is, I'm happy to send around staff about how one woman can be a bitch. And yet a guy who has the same thing, he's a boss along those same lines. Are we really saying that we can't think of anyone who ran in the Republican primary who was known to be kind of a bad person I don't oh, know. I, I can name. Maybe. I can name at least. Like, I can name at least three. Donald Trump. No, no, no. no. Exactly. I can. I can, can name at least three. Currently sitting in the White House. Can yeah. you name one who is maybe said Christy? on a debate stage that you know there was blood coming out of the moderator's eyes or you know wherever? And he was yes. He was given a slap on yeah, the wrist. I mean, for I that. mean Chris Christie was. Chris Christie was notorious to be a challenging boss. So I don't think we can actually say like oh. Poor Amy Klobuchar, she's getting a real, she, she deserves this reason or even you know, Jim, anything like that because she's being a boss and doing her job. She is notoriously one of the hardest working people on the Hill. Even Jeb, Bush was, even Jeb Bush was notorious for having a temper once in a while. Uh, yeah, you know, and yet but, right now, his stories, whenever those were released, lasted, oh, probably a week until, you know, and maybe it's just the candidate that was making the most waves in the Republican primary was making it a lot easier to forget about, you know, everyone else's indiscretions. You know, maybe if, I don't know, the Cory Booker or if somebody else, like, decides to, you know, I don't know, murder a hooker in Vegas, maybe then all of a sudden people will start talking about that. And by the way, we are not, and by the way, for the record, for the record, we are not insinuating that Senator Cory Booker murder, murdered a hooker in Vegas by any stretch. At no, least not, not any of the day spots yeah. no, that sponsor us. But, so, no, but it's also worth noting that the – but to, to your point, the the fact that what's keeping the Klobuchar story alive is the repetitiveness of the question of whether or not there is a double standard for women, which is to her detriment – 
that the story is being kept alive because of that question. I'm sure her press secretary would have much rather had the thing die after the, yes, she's a, she, she's a horrible boss, then day two, let's talk about policies. But now that circle of conversation is is going with the, well, are women getting a double standard? Klobuchar is the only example, but there are no other women who are sharing that particular spotlight with her. So the only thing that's getting out about Klobuchar's candidacy at the moment is Klobuchar is the candidate who people don't like working but is that, for. I mean, I mean, it's unfortunate for her. What it is, though, is it, 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 I mean, that keeps Klobuchar's name in the cycle, which we can't say the same thing about Tulsi it's, Gabbard. It, it's not going to help her raise money. It, 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 look, it it doesn't help her, and news stories creep out. And I will remind everybody that there is data in the Senate that's available that allows you to measure um, longevity, longevity on staff. And she has either the first or second highest rate of turnover. Tur- of turnover. And those things are relevant. They're not sexist, per se. Right. They're just relevant. Does that mean she could never be president, that I could never support her for president, that she would be a terrible president? No, nope. but it's data. It, it, it's it's data points. I mean, we look at we look at what this president does towards women, towards his staff, and we're we're kind of horrified. Um, we knew we knew plenty to be horrified before, and we're still horrified. And and so we pay attention to those we're, things. Well, we're going we're going to take a break. When we come back, I, I think I caught Rob the engineer off guard there for a second. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our in-depth discussion on the 2020 candidates, talk about the guys on the Democratic side. And also, Laura Chavez, I want to lead off on this. Uh, Hillary Clinton gave advice to the 2020 crowd saying that women unfairly, believe it or not, she says women have to try not to look mad. I'm going to lead off with that with you. Let you sit with that for a second. I'll try not to take that personally. <laughs> this don't is, be angry. Don't be angry. Don't look angry. Ooh. We'll be back in three minutes. Stay with us. If you could only read my mind, what a tale you'd find. If I could, I would be bound forever, and I'd never sever me from you. You won't believe it's true. But I've been missing you. I dream of kissing you. Let's give it one more chance. One more slow dance. Heartstring, let's sing. Tie my heart to you. Hello. Tell you'd find if I could, I would 
busted I found him out Had a show down When I think of him How much I love him I got a desperate notion That's the way I feel today My heart is aching Because he's making a plaything of my devotion That's the way I feel today Without any reason Or a word to say That man turned his keys in He packed and went away What good is living I'll soon be giving my body up to the ocean That's the way I feel today Live from Washington, D.C., this is Backroom Politics with moderator Justin Russell. And we're back here going in-depth on Backroom Politics regarding the 2020 Democratic presidential ticket that's lining up. Uh, pretty much everybody's running for president on the Democratic side right now. Uh, we're talking about uh, some of the female uh, candidates that are uh, vying for the nod. We also have several men that are running, including the senator from uh, New Jersey, Cory Booker, including the senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders, uh, as well as a handful of others, Joaquin Castro, the uh, former HUD secretary and mayor of San Antonio, right? San Antonio, Alan? Yes. Yeah. And... Uh, Several others, including a former... He was also HUD secretary. Yeah, he said HUD secretary. Yeah, yeah, yeah I said right. that. Um, anyway, uh, let's let's talk about them for a second, because this is becoming uh, a really interesting play, because the ones that we expected to see early on, we're kind of holding off on. That being, what is the, what is the fate of, of Democratic, former Democratic congressman from Texas, Beto O'Rourke, and a former vice president and senator from Delaware, Joe Biden. Uh, those are two of the name. Those are two of the big names that we're waiting to see what their decision's going to be. Uh, but let's talk about Bernie Sanders for a second. Uh, Dan Lipner, Bernie Sanders. At one side, you look and he's raised in a week something like. Over $10 million? Did I see that correctly? I believe he raised $4 million the day he announced. Yeah. And he's got and he's raised $10 million in the week since he started, most of it small dollar value. Uh, at the same time, he comes out and says in a town hall on CNN yesterday, uh, basically saying that, you know, eh, maybe Maduro's not so, so bad. Uh, can he... It, can the Democrats afford to go to the hard left socialist democratic side of the house? Because it seems to me like they could be running into the same trap that the far, far right Republicans did. And look what we got. Well, that that's a complicated question there, but let's go Why? with let's go with the Maduro point first. Maduro's issue is not that he's a socialist in spite of what uh, Donald Trump and the Republican Party would have you say, even the, the president's State of the Union address saying, this is an example of what socialism is going going wrong. I believe he's in Vietnam, which is a socialist communist country. Our biggest trade adversary is China, socialist communist country. But hey, let's not use those and examples. Wait, wait, wait. Is, Buddy, is Buddy Kim is the head of the biggest 
hermitage of communism out there, North Korea. Right, but I, I'm I, I'm actually choosing to use markers for actually successful communist states. Oh, okay. So, so right. the, but the, none of which were democratic states that turned socialist in you know in our in, in, in our lifetime. I mean, right. in, which, India was a democratic socialist state for forever. Um, it, so that said, the so. The defending Maduro is insane, but but Maduro's issues are his lack of democracy and his incompetence in running his government, including uh, what he inherited from Hugo Chavez. The socialism thing is simply an additional color highlight of of what his government is. The incompetence is actually the main issue. Bernie Sanders stepping in the middle of that is not helpful to anyone and only brings the talking point that Republicans have front and center. Whereas there are some legitimate issues that he's brought to the forefront that would be much better heard. The cost of college education, the cost of health care. Hell, let's just go with the issue that Cong- Congress is dealing with now and even the Trump administration is dealing with drug prices. But that isn't but Bernie's Ironically, doing what Democrats frequently do, which is step all over themselves with a foolish story and going where the conservative media would or conservative talking points would have you go, where there is actually another point you could have gone, for example, highlighting Vietnam or China as other countries that are having some economic success and ignoring Maduro entirely. That's not what he did. Now, the issues that Bernie has brought to the forefront, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. By the numbers, most Americans... Now, I'm not saying Bernie Sanders' approaches are necessarily the correct approaches, but by the numbers, most people think Bernie Sanders is bringing things to, to the forefront that people care about. The cost of college education is not is is nothing to sneeze but, at. But, we, but we've seen, Laura Chavez, we've seen the gradual maneuvering of or the gradual push of the Democratic Party moving further and further progressive, further and further left. It's a continuation of Bernie Sanders 1.0 in the 2016 uh, election. We've seen it with the advent of the new freshman class of legislators coming in, including AOC. The the idea that this uh, this democratic socialist side of the house is a good is overtly progressive side of the house is a good moniker for the Democrats. It seems like they're painting themselves in the same corner that the Republicans did in 2016. Yes, I mean I don't know how. I mean you said it very eloquently. I don't know how else to add on to that except for you know the fact that yeah, right now it's we're in the we're at the hopefully the far end of the pendulum swinging. And, you know, right now it's hard right. Hopefully it'll come back to the left and then it can, we can start calming down. It's not going to be a like, we're so far to the right. Right now, people are, uh, the Democratic Party is looking and scrambling because they have people like, um, oh gosh, Starbucks CEO. I can't remember. Uh, Howard Schultz. Schultz, thank you. Yeah. They have people like him saying, oh, well, I'll run as a centrist. They have people threatening to take that middle lane. And essentially, anyone in that middle lane will cause Donald Trump to be reelected, which obviously is not the want of the Democratic Party. But with that, you're taking this massive risk in overcorrecting and going so far to the left 
which in all honesty appeals to a much younger generation. It's just then you have to bank on that younger generation coming to the polls in November and saying, yes, we are willing to, you know, whether it's depending on your view, whether it's correct the error made in 2016, you know, they attempted to correct a lot of it in 2018. Unfortunately, the Senate map was not in Democrats' favor at all. But it's one of those things that it's almost all you can think to do is overcorrect. Because if you just find someone like a Jeb Bush, where, you know, he appeals to everyone, you know, you need someone like an AOC who motivates, someone who, like a Beto O'Rourke who can get you, can get the younger generation interested. It's pretty obvious that the Democrats are looking at the demographics and saying to themselves, all right, the older generation, yes, they're the ones that vote, but they are not the ones that are going to, they're not the ones, and this is a very crass comment, and I apologize for it in advance, but they're not the ones that will necessarily be around in 12 years to see the earth explode from climate change or whatever is going to happen. They're not the ones that are in schools every day dealing with gun violence for school shootouts. They're not the ones that are seeing that. They're the ones that are like, we need to protect, you know, the social security that we get. They need, they're looking at different social issues. They're looking at different economic issues and they're seeing it from a different perspective. So the democratic party is almost, I don't want to say writing off that entire section, but they're realizing they need to find a new pocket of voters. And the, in 2016, the new pocket of voters was so far to the left that they're wondering if it's just best to, you know, return to that well because it was still giving water. Dan Lipner, the Democratic Party is has had an inability to explain things to folks for the people on Social Security and Medicare against socialism um, is its own bit of irony in and of itself. And that's been the Democratic Party's biggest problem. Now, Bernie Sanders, to his credit, uh, has br- brought these issues to the forefront, and that's been useful. Uh, where he has failed is when he's, again, going down the rabbit hole of Maduro, or worse yet, when he's actually put front and center uh, to answer the question, how? Uh when he suddenly begins to fail, and he failed during his last presidential campaign when he had the one-on-one interviews with some thoughtful reporters who posed some real questions to him on substance. And much to my surprise, at least, for somebody who had been talking about these issues for 40 years, there was no meat on the bone behind it. He he just continued to pontificate about what other places in the world do, as opposed to what the United States could do. And I always found that troubling. I don't necessarily think that's where this democratic field is. Bernie Sanders has opened you, you the- don't you don't think for a second that there is a active push left to get the base riled up the way Trump got the far right base riled up in his time. No, I I think it's I don't New Green Deal doesn't do it for you. The Nobody knows what the New Green Deal is. For uh, it sounds even the people who sponsored it, AOC. But it, you would you would make it stink talking to the progressives in the party that this is the future. This is the way we go. A- a- AOC has been a media darling for about twenty minutes, and she's been in Congress for about five. So while I appreciate the fact that she's bringing her issues to the forefront, and her Twitter followers can do an awful lot, I- I'll 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 wait to. Uh, take any of her policies seriously once she opens her district office until then i'm going to i'm going to 
put put it where it belongs and that it's a, a position that's out there and it's bringing issues to the forefront but that is not she is also not running for president she's also not constitutionally eligible to but, run for no, president no, no, but, but if you look at her if you look at some of the people in that freshman class if you look at some of the, if you even look at some of the senate side uh, that are running for president, they're on, all over on, this progressive on, push. On, on, this, fact, on the, this show, on this show, to the point where, wait a minute, hold how on, many hold folks on. on this show to the point where went to private colleges or public colleges, and how many people paid full freight if they went to a public wait, college? No, no, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's go no, back no, to that. I mean that. No, no, no. no that no, is one of those issues. Is, that is no, a no, moderate what, position. Most no, no. Americans think college should be affordable, but wait, or at wait. least post high school education should be should be there, should be affordable, and it's part of what is required for the new economy. Well, hold on. This is not a wildly liberal position. I'm the not question saying is that, but what I am saying well, is, no, wait, wait, hold on. Free. I, wait, wait, what I'm saying is you can't do it for free, number one. Number two. Says the, who? What do you mean says who? Says who? Who's going to pay for it? Amy Klobuchar says you wait, can't oh, do it for free. <laughs> no, no, I mean, obviously it's all going to be paid for, but Who's El- gonna pay Elizabeth for it? Warren has a very compelling story that she used to pay $50 a semester to go to community college that she eventually got Fine, go to community to college. Do, do, do you know how many people that is don't still want a, to go to It co- is still a highly subsidized, the tax, our tax dollars still go to those things. It is highly subsidized and most Americans actually think an education should be affordable. If somebody wants to There is to affordable education out there. They're called community colleges. The problem is our society has made a community college the 13th and 14th grade, unfortunately, and not given them stature that they should have as places of higher learning. There is such a stigma of saying, going to community college in mainstream, they feel like I failed. Your I'll parents know, used to threaten you with that. You're, uh, you're uh, overgeneralizing uh, here. I, I don't know anyone who believes that. Yeah. People who work their way up and go, going going through whatever community college they might go through to either a a, a full four full four year college I education. I worked at community college. Or, I, I or, know or, the or, greatness or of going them. down the route for doing whatever additional training for a for technical training, whatever it might and be, it, it still should be affordable. But we're coming That's off the we're coming off the point. We're coming <laughs> off the point here. The point I was trying to make is you've got. You've got this new class of, of, of freshmen and I'm disagreeing with the premise. It's not wildly liberal. Most of America thinks it should be – Wait, wait, should, wait. Should cost, not, not just that. Should, should not have just nominal that. cost. I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about Medicare, Medicaid for all. I'm talking about – Also, most Americans think that – that healthcare should actually be a right or at least How highly subsidized. How are you going to pay for it? For starters, get, get the insurance companies wait, out of the but, system. But, but, but again, let me go back to the original point I'm trying to get with you, Dan. Do you have any is, idea of how big a role that insurance companies play in the Medicare Advantage program that's the biggest growing piece of Medicare? Right. They'd run it. Part they B, do it. Part B, so part C. You're tra- all, happy to trash. But wait a minute. Hold on. But hold this on. is the, when you get into the details for any of these issues, they start to break down. And it's not about affordable college. There is no politician in America that doesn't talk about affordability. There are a handful who say college should be free. Public colleges should be free. Amy Klobuchar said, "No, we can't afford that. That maybe that's aspirational, but, proof but we we can't the do same that." People but wait, who say it's hold not on, hold on, hold on. The same people who voted for hold on. Dan, the Trump answer tax my question, cut. Though. This is, Dan, these things are out there. Dan, answer my question though. If they, if they, if there is not a legitimate push to the left 
that scares the Democrats. Why, when Harry Reid brought up the Green New Deal for the floor vote in the Senate, did everybody start backing away? Harry, Nobody... Harry Reid's still in the Senate? Oh, not Harry Reid. Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell. <laughs> when Mitch McConnell put up the he announced that he was going to put the Green New Deal up for vote, every one of those senators backed away like, ah, I'm not putting my name on it because it's too progressive. No, 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 there's also an additional smackdown there on AOC. AOC was trolling Mitch McConnell. It's not just AOC that's going the progressive it's, route. Ed Markey is the guy in the Senate, and he's the one who squealed the most when McConnell <laughs> said, well, I think we'll call it up for a vote. No, you're trying to ruin it. Right. Which is amusing. A, a, that is funny. A, a little history here. What AOC did was actually – whether now, the real question is – who, who's playing which game and who's going to win? AOC did a very different strategy. I we're talking to, about running let, for president, though, Dan. I didn't bring up AOC. You did. I, I was talking about the presidential field. Choose which topic you would like. No, no, they, wait, no, no, no. Wait, 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 wait. Is AOC are, running no. for president? If not, it seems like AOC is driving the platform. Let's no. remove the Green New Deal from the conversation since nobody running for president other than Bernie, I believe, has fully endorsed the Green New Deal. Oh, no, no. Deal. Several of the candidates have. Oh, please. Have, Cory have, Booker? Have co- I think, Harris? I, I think Kamala Harris has. Booker have, definitely and did. are wondering whether they should have. And then Klobuchar has been getting some mileage by saying, you know, it's interesting for aspirational purposes, but I am not in t- planning to sign on at L- this point. Laura, Ch- Laura Chavez, I mean, is, is it, it seems to me that is this the right plan of attack for the Democrats to gain success and and capture some of the moderate votes that are needed to win the election in 2020? I will be totally honest. I am not even sure what the question is right now because of the labyrinth we just went down. I was, I'm like in this conversation and literally there is no way back. No one left breadcrumbs. Just say Um, Dan is right and you'll be good. No, no, that's not true. I'm not letting that stand. Now let me let me re- let me reset, Laura. Uh, As we were discussing the progressive uh, run down the progressive rabbit hole for the Democrats is going that far left a smart move for the Democrats going into the 2020 election, knowing full and well you got to get the middle of the road folks to win the election. Uh, I think the Democrats are still playing with a pretty old playbook. They're still kind of adhering to the idea of like for the primary, go far to your far to what there would be the left and the Republicans would be part of the right. And then it's a race to the middle. I think they're still playing on that. I think they're still counting on that play to work. Um, but that's just not how 2016 changed everything. You don't get to have, you don't need that race to the middle. And I think they're forgetting that. What they need to remember is that there are a lot of very unhappy people and maybe just talking to them about what they're unhappy about. Uh, this is going to be another situation where, the election's probably going to be driven by social issues and fear. Obviously, like, for some reason, there's always a caravan that appears, you know, coming straight at Texas or California at a very convenient time for Donald Trump. It's going to be all about trying to quell the fear that uh, the Republican side, uh, be it, you know, um, Pence or Trump or any of his other lackeys, um, is spreading. I don't know if a race to the left and then a race to the center is the right way to go about it. But unfortunately, the Democratic Party is just going to have to cover so much ground in order to try to even remotely 
get a stand against Donald Trump. He's just going to – we know his game plan, but the thing is he doesn't play by the rules. There are certain, you know, etiquette rules. There are certain, you know, the rules of society that he's just not going to adhere to. And with that, there's really no right plan for the Democrats right now. So I think their best assumption is, you know what, let's shore up the hard left, shore up the people that are as far left as we can get them, and then just try to keep reminding them until, you know, we get through November 2020 that, hey, remember, we still, we said that one thing about the Green New Deal. We think college should be free or at least, you know, appropriately scaled to your bank account or, you know, you don't have to be a multi-billionaire to go. Hey, remember that health care you liked? Don't forget about that. I think they're going to try and get a lot of that really far left right now and then just do their best to hang on to them as hard as they can and drag them through the primary, drag them to the general, and hopefully drag them all the way into the White House. Alan Moore. Well, I agree with with Laura here. Um, I do think that, you know, even now with the dozen or so candidates and if Biden gets in, He'll he'll be, uh, you know, he's 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 got enough experience that he's not going to jump onto the to the far left uh, uh, agenda of of it, to, to to most simplify it free college Medicare for all whatever the hell that means and a fifteen dollar minimum wage that's kind of the the mont- and the Green New Deal um, with, with all of the interesting questions that that, that creates that's that's what's sort it's, of it's out worth there noting. and none of us have actually said what's on, in the green hold on, new deal hold on, so, hold on, no no I, I i i understand and i don't want to go down that you know that's a whole separate conversation it's a whole another there's, show you know there's stuff there that no one would disagree with and anyway, there's plenty of of stuff there right. that that we could all say we need more information um and and so on but there's no question that there's this battle to get the nomination, and there's at the moment mostly a fight towards the left side of center. Um, a couple of people are staking the middle or the right side of of, of the center part. If you, I'm not talking about third party possible candidates like a Schultz or a Bloomberg, although I think Bloomberg has said he would run as a Democrat if he ran, but eventually. They, I think, and there's polling that supports this. When people start understanding what uh, what Medicare for all, for example, could mean, they they back away because 150 million people in America are pretty satisfied with their private health insurance, um, and and so. Um, and, and the people who are on Medicare say, whoa, we got some issues. We don't know that we want a lot more people in this program. We want to take care of ourselves. It, all these paths are fraught with, with challenge. And at the end of the day, the Democrat left needs to hold. They need to show up and they need to appeal to the independents. The opportunity is clearly there, which is this question of why are so many people in? Because the White House is there for the taking if you can unify the, the, the country um, in in being for some stuff and being against this president, and what a what a great combination right. of and opportunity. I, and I, think, and I think I think there are pe- I think there are people in the race. I give you Kamala Harris. I give you Amy Klobuchar. I give you Joe Biden. Even Beta O'Rourke that could absolutely bring in some of that center lane vote block that you have to get. That these candidates could be attractive to them if they don't go completely 
over the progressive line. Yes, if only there was a candidate running who was born in the Midwest uh, as a poor girl growing up who made her way up. No, just stop. No, no, She I'm was serious. the most horrible candidate ever. Who? He, Hillary Clinton? I'm talking about Elizabeth Warren. <laughs> oh, well, then you know what? You just proved my point. Wait, they wanted the same. Not, no, not, not even lie. close. I thought you were talking about Amy Klobuchar. I did too. <laughs> I did too. No, no, actually, Amy Klobuchar is also there. I mean, the, the, the fact that, that these are people who, who are actually working class, normal human beings uh, that did not come from wealth or money that actually made their way and had done some good along the way is worth noting that the 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 man from hope or the woman from hope or wherever it might be that is a narrative that Americans tend to like and the the standard that people are going to be looking at and there's already polling on the democratic side of of what the democratic primary voters are going to be looking so, for and that's the person who can who can beat Trump so competence and running a competent campaign is looking like what is going to be the ultimate goal for voters that makes me a little nervous cuz that's also what got us John Kerry's so candidacy but bring Back, bring back Harry Truman. Bring back a, a, a no. I mean, bring back a Democrat like Harry Truman. You have to talk about the real I, world. I, I, I don't what I'm saying is, you bring back somebody who could go Midwestern, pull up by the bootstrap story. You know, I mean, haberdasher. I, I, I mean, I mean, Claire McCaskill's from Missouri, and she's not doing much other than working on MSNBC right now. So right. She, she could run. No, no, but I'm, I'm saying, is it going to take somebody like an Amy Klobuchar, that that kind of Truman-esque Democrat, to win? It's the Democratic narrative that we like. Hell, it's the narrative we like for all presidents, uh, with with the exception of W and Trump in recent W Trump and and Bush Senior in recent memory most presidents have, we've worked to try and have that narrative whether or not it's true that's something else but that's the narrative we like as Americans. All right, well we're gonna let that be the last word. Uh, Laura Chavez, as always, love having you in there from Chicago. Appreciate you guys. And on behalf of Laura Chavez in Chicago, on behalf of Dan Lipner, Alan Moore. Uh, I'm your host and moderator, Justin Russell. We'll be back again for another episode of the best political talk show you've never heard of. It's Backroom Politics. Special shout out again to Rob, the engineer behind the glass, keeping us happy. Charlie, Oscar, love having you guys host us here at Studio A, at Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C., your nation's capital. You can follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politics. By the way, Follow us, if you're downloading this live, follow us on the Wednesday side, because we're going to be tweeting about the Cohen open mic uh, night there in the house. Uh, you can also follow us on our website, backroompolitics.org, where you can download all of our historical data. And you can also get us on a podcast service like iTunes, like Google Podcasts, iTunes Radio, and Spotify. We're kind of a big deal now. Uh, have a great week, America. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.